All right, Second Chronicles chapters 10 and 11 tonight. So when we left off last week, um, we've seen King Solomon uh, take his final breath and uh, go to be with his fathers. And uh, now we're going to see his son Rehoboam come to reign. And we're going to see <clears throat> where this split in uh, Israel will take place. And it starts off in verse 1. It says, And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all of Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So we've seen this with David as well. Seen it with Solomon. The nation of Israel will come together. They would make uh, that individual the king. And then it says, So it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it. He was in Egypt, where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon, that Jeroboam returned from Egypt. So we see Jeroboam must have uh, been on the bad side of Solomon. He runs off to Egypt, which that's a sermon in itself, probably. But he goes off to Egypt to hide from Solomon. And uh, he gets word that Solomon had passed away, and uh, he's hoping that Rehoboam would be maybe a little more kinder to him and listen to him a little bit more. But as we'll see in a minute, that, that will end up not being the case. <clears throat> Verse 3, it says, Then they sent for him and called him, and Jeroboam and all of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. So Solomon had really put a heavy burden, not only probably physically, but financially on the nation of Israel. He'd passed a lot of taxes and, and a lot of things where he was taken from the people. You think 40 years of, of, of uh, kingship for Solomon and all the building projects, not to include the temple and his own, own uh, personal buildings, his houses and such, but all the other fortified cities and everything else that he had to build, uh, get built up. Uh, it wasn't going to happen for free. And, and so the people were heavily taxed and heavily ran into the ground. And, and, you know, Jeroboam's coming to him, asking him, can you just take it a little easy on her, a little bit easier than what your father had taken, taken it on us? You know, maybe lessen some of the taxes. He's probably not asking for all of it to go away. But he says, hey, maybe not as much tax. Maybe, maybe, not, maybe not as much burden that how your father had put it on us. But let's lessen that a little bit. So he's coming to the king with that. I think that's a reasonable request. I mean, we would all like lower taxes here in America as well. I mean, that's, that's a reasonable request. I can see it. In verse 5, he said, So he said to him, Come back to me after three days, and the people departed. So I think Rehoboam's doing a good thing here as well. He says, basically, let me talk with my counselors. Give me a couple days. Come back to me, and I'm going to give you an answer. Once again, so far, everything seems reasonable. I think this should be done. You know, take time and, and think about what we're doing. We, we would hope our leaders, such as our president and those in Congress and the Senate and all this, that they would take time to get counsel. We know a lot of them probably don't, not spiritual counsel anyway, to think over some of these laws and some of these rules that they are, they're putting on us as Americans. You know, you would hope they would get good counsel before they come to whatever the, the decision would be. So we see Rehoboam taking these three days to be able to, to kind of maul over what the decision should be. And in verse 6 through 8, it says, then, the king, then King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived, saying, How do you advise me to answer these people? 
So I think he's starting off in a good spot. He's going to talk to the elders, the, the men who have been through the battle already and have seen uh, different, different aspects of, of ruling over a nation. And I think starting with them was a, was a good step. And it says, and they spoke to him saying, if you are kind to these people and please them and speak good words uh, to them, they will be your servants forever. But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. Now, going back to verse 7, where he says, if you be kind to the people and please them and speak good words to them, they will be your servant forever. Because Jeroboam basically saying, if you lessen some of this burden that you're putting on us right now, we're going to serve you as king. This is not going to be a problem. And, and the elders are giving him pretty much the same advice. Hey, speak kindly to them. Hey, a little bit of compromise with them. Maybe take some of the taxes away and there'll be no issues and the kingdom will reign. And in James, and in James 3.17, it says this about, it says about wisdom. It says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. So we have these elders that is, is, is giving them good advice, giving them good wisdom on what they should do. He's, they're telling him to be kind with the people. And then James is telling us that, that the wisdom that is from above is first pure. The wisdom we get from God is the purest wisdom we can, we can find. Because he is pure. So the wisdom that's going to come from him is going to be pure. Then it says it is peaceable and gentle. That wisdom will bring peace even if you're having a disagreement with some others. It may bring peace between you two as you're having these, these discussions and trying to, to, to come up with a wise decision. Then it says willing to yield. Solomon was, not Solomon, Rehoboam had a point where he could have yielded a little over to Jeroboam and lessened these taxes and, and, and kept the calamity that was about to come from happening. If he would have just yielded a little bit to him. And he also talks about it in James that it is full of mercy and good fruits. So the wisdom of God is a merciful wisdom. And the wisdom of God will what? Produce good fruits, good things in our life. And it may be, it may be turmoil sometime. It may be some rough times in there. But if we continue to lean on the wisdom of God, we're going to see the good fruits eventually. And then it says, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So God's wisdom and the wisdom Rehoboam should have been using and the wisdom that was given to him by the elders was, was, had, had no partiality in it. We weren't going to choose sides. And there was no hypocrisy to it. But as we read on in verse 8, and back in Second Chronicles, he says, But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him, and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. Rehoboam should have listened to his, to his elders. He should have listened to, the, to the, the people who had been through it with Solomon. Um, one thing I, I've tried to do throughout my life, and, and I find it funny because I'm going to be 43 in January, and uh, I'm kind of at that middle stage now. I'm not nece- necessarily a young man anymore, but I'm not quite an older gentleman as well. So 
I've always tried to take as much advice from uh, the people who are older than me and a little more wiser than me as life has went on. And uh, there's several, several men in my life have spoke to me either spiritually or, or just in a, just a normal setting about life. And I've always wanted to listen to their wisdom to where I wouldn't make some, some huge mistakes or mistakes they may have made. And I can learn from that. And I think Rehoboam should have done that here by listening to him. But instead, he wanted to listen to his contemporaries and the people he grew up with. And we find this out in verse 9. And he said to them, what advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, lighten the yoke which your father put on us? Then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, thus you should speak to the people who have spoken to you, saying, your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us, make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. So he was about to, to bring a lot of burden upon him. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So. These younger guys are giving Rehoboam some really bad advice. And Rehoboam's going to run with that advice. He's going to bring heavier yokes on him, probably tax him, tax him heavier than they ever have been before, and whatever other burdens he's going to put, put on to him. And we think of some of the politicians we have today. We know these young, these young guys here, they're very much out for themselves. They're out to make their own self look good and to make more money off the people and these politicians we have today both sides of the aisle are are doing the same they're wanting to make money and make a name for themselves they're not thinking about us the people and this is what we're seeing here with this younger group that they're thinking about Rehoboam being the king and reigning and them putting so much burden on the people that they're going to end up getting paid for it and uh, Rehoboam went the wrong route he says that he would he would not only chastise them with the whips, but he was going to chastise them with scourges. That's even worse than whips. And then he said his little finger is going to be thicker than his father's waist. That's just a heavy burden he's putting on his people. In verse 12, it says, So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day, as the king had directed, saying, Come back to me on the third day. Then the king answered them roughly, King Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders, and he spoke, uh, and he spoke to them according. Spoke to them according of the young men, saying, "My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to it. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges." So we see them coming. Jeroboam's coming back with the people of Israel, and he's coming back to see Rehoboam, and, and I think at this point they're kind of hopeful. They're like, well, maybe he won't be like Solomon was. Maybe he'll listen uh, to what I, where we were requesting, and we'll be able to serve him as king. Maybe we'll get, his, get our way. You know, he's given a couple days to think about this. That has to be a good sign. So as they're coming in, I'm pretty sure they're coming in expecting something good to happen. But as we see, the answer was not very positive for him. And in verse 15, it says, So the king did uh, not listen to the people, for the turn of events was from God, that the Lord might fulfill his word which he had spoken 
by the hand of Ahijah the Shalonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. So here we see that God was orchestrating this. And when I prayed earlier, we talk about God raises up leaders and he takes leaders down. There's a purpose and reason behind it all. And uh, here, apparently, Solomon must not have either told Rehoboam about, hey, this is what's going to happen when you become king. Or Rehoboam just didn't listen to anything Solomon had said. Because remember, God had told Solomon, I'm not going to divide your nation while you're king. But your son is where I'm going to divide it. And in chapter 11 of 1 Kings, it says, So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart, heart had not turned from the Lord, because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days. For the sake of your father, David, I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give you one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So even in this, even in this discipline, disciplining of Solomon, God's grace is still shown. He's not he wasn't going to take the whole thing away from him because he had a love for David. And he was going to ensure that at least one tribe was still there and his city, Jerusalem, was still going to be there. But the rest of it was going to be torn away and given to others. And we see the ten tribes in a minute as they're going to be uh, split from, from Judah as the nation starts to split. But we still, even through this and this tough time that's coming, we still see God's grace and God's sovereignty in all of this. And sometimes I think in our lives we, don't, we go through hard times and we're trying to understand why is this happening to me? Why am I going through these hard times? And sometimes we think we shouldn't be. But who are we that we shouldn't be? Because the Lord has orchestrated these things sometimes in our lives. And it's to make us better. It's to make us stronger, to build better character. And it's also to help others as well as they see us go through these struggles. And we may be able to to walk through these things with grace. They'll see, wow, how can you go through these hard times and still keep your head up? And then we've got a story to tell about how we do it. And we can share the Savior with them. So through all these things that are going on, God's grace is still there in it. And in verse 16, it says, Now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to your tents, O Israel. Now see to your own house, O David. So they went in with expectations of, I think we can get this deal done. I think he's going to be merciful to us. And then they leave basically telling Israel, go back to your tents. We want no part of David. We want no part of what Judah is doing. We want no part of what Rehoboam is doing. And then we start seeing this split happen. And in verse 17, which this was kind of a bad move on Rehoboam's part. But Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah 
Then King Rehoboam sent Hadarang, who was in charge of revenue. But the children of Israel stoned him with stones, and he died. Therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. So he sent the IRS, basically, to go get more revenue from him. And, and this is the whole argument that they were taxing too much. And uh, I think he kind of jumped the gun there to go get these taxes. And they, Israel killed the guy. It made Rehoboam flee back to Jerusalem, back to the capital city from where he was at. Now, division, we see this division of Israel happen, and we know division is never good. I wish us as human beings could all walk in unity and all walk as one, but we know it doesn't happen. We see this here in the churches, the body of Christ itself. There is so much division, whether it's on doctrines or traditions or whatever it is. There's so much division, but in John 17, that's not what, what Jesus wanted for his body. He wanted the body of Christ to be together as one. And he says, Father, let them be one, even as we are one. And we want to stri- try and strive for unity the best we can, but realize when division does come, God is, is he has a plan. And he has his will that needs to be accomplished as we get into uh, chapter 11. In verse 1 of chapter 11, it says, Now when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled from the house of Judah and Benjamin 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against Israel that he might restore the kingdom to Rehoboam. But the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all of Israel and Judah and Benjamin, saying, Thus says the Lord, you shall not go up or fight against your brethren. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. Therefore they obeyed the word of the Lord and turned back uh, from attacking Jeroboam. So Rehoboam was ready to go to war. He was ready to go back and force Israel back into uniting as one. That they would no longer have this separation between the northern and southern kingdoms. But he was going to go force the issue but then the, the prophecy was brought back up that this came from the Lord. This was not something that just ha- happened. The Lord was orchestrating this the whole time. And I don't believe that the Lord desires division. I don't believe that. But he will allow those things to happen. That's just like in, in the Old Testament where the, these guys had so many wives and concubines. That is not the design for marriage and relationships. But the Lord allowed it to happen. And there was some good that came out of it. And, and, and we see that that's going to happen here. And we ask, why would he allow this division to happen? Why? Why would he allow the split of his people? Because you've got to think, even though Solomon, Solomon's reign, they prospered. That was probably the most prosperous Israel has ever been. Through wealth and, and prestige and, and just... People in the world just knowing who they were. We talked about Queen Sheba coming almost 1,500 miles away just to come seek the wisdom of Solomon and to see this temple that she had heard about. So Solomon was on a high pedestal at that point in time. But also while he was on that high pedestal, Israel was steadily declining into immorality and eventually idol worship as he welcomed in these foreign women and their gods as well. So even though it looks like on one side Solomon's reign was very 
extravagant and wonderful and great. On the other hand, there was a lot of sin and a lot of idolatry and things going on. And so the Lord was going to separate that. He was going to get rid of that idolatry and get rid of the sin that was going on there. And I think the Lord sometime has to make that division in our lives. He has to disconnect us. Uh, One one pastor once said that it was a divine disconnection. Now, I think we have divine disconnections in our lives. The Lord has to get people out of our lives sometimes or get us away from situations that in our eyes seem like would be a great thing, but in the long run would only hinder us. And we see the Lord taking away those ten tribes of the northern kingdom, away from Judah, away from the line of David, and away from away from Solomon, and away from the southern kingdom. And we look even in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, there was a lot of addition to the church. The church was growing, and it was prospering. But we see some of that subtraction as well. We've seen Ananias and Sapphira, who were subtracted because why? They lied to the Holy Spirit. And they needed to be taken away from the people. And there's people in our lives that we just need them to be taken away. And I think those ten northern kingdoms needed to be taken away from Judah and from those kings that were going to reign after Rehoboam. Because if you look at the king, you look at the kingdoms, with the northern kingdoms, there was not one good king in the bunch, not one from the northern kingdom. They all did evil in the sight of God. They all went into idolatry. They were all worship other gods. They were. They were doing evil in the sight of God continuously. But if we look at the southern kingdom, a good majority of them were good kings. They were godly kings. They had their quirks. They had their issues. But for the most part, they were, they were kings that wanted to follow in the ways of David because that, that was the benchmark, King David. And they wanted to follow in his footsteps and be godly kings as well. And like I said, some of them had their issues and they fell. But for the most part, they follow the ways of God. So I think God had to uproot portions of Israel in order to, to save the portion that he did. In verse 5, it says, So Rehoboam dwelt in Jerusalem and built cities for defense in Judah. And he built Bethlehem, Etam, Tekoa, Bethker, Sokah, Adelaim, Gath, Morsha, Ziph, Adarim, Lachish, Eska, Zorah, Ajalan, and Hebron, which are in Judah and Benjamin, fortified cities. And he fortified the strongholds and put captains in them and, and store, stores of food, oil, and wine. Also in, this, also in every city he put shields and spears and made them very strong, having Judah and Benjamin on his side. So he had to fortify these cities. He had to build these cities up. Because not only are you going to have threats from maybe Edom and Egypt and these other countries that are surrounding, but now you have the threat of the northern kingdom that may come in to try and overtake Judah and Benjamin. So he, he had to end up fortifying his cities. And it says that he built these cities, but what he really means is they made it stronger or fortified them because these cities were already existing. It wasn't like these are brand new cities they were building up. But he was fortifying them, putting in an armory there, putting in captains, putting in soldiers to be, able to, to be able to defend these outlying cities from Jerusalem. And we move on to verse 13. 
And from all their territories, the priests and the Levites who were in all of Israel took their stand with him. So they took their stand with Rehoboam. For the Levites left their common lands and their possessions and came to Judah and Jerusalem. For Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them from serving as priests to the Lord. So now we're starting to see the idolatry already seeping into the northern kingdom. They had their priests for Yahweh was already there could have served uh, Jeroboam if he decided to serve the true and living God. But Jeroboam didn't even want him there, so they end up coming back down to Jerusalem. Then he appointed then he appointed for himself priests for the high places, for the demons and for the calf idols which he had made. So we know in Bethel and Dan that he had put the two calf, golden calves up there, the images to where he would tell the people of the northern kingdom, you don't have to go down to Jerusalem to go worship God. Look, we set up these areas for you to come and worship God. And in his mind, I guess he, they thought, he thought that this was really going to be the worship of God, but it was a false worship of God, a false religious setup. And a lot of these Levites recognized that, that this was not the true worship of, of God because these Levites knew what the word said. They knew what the scripture said. And they fled from there and went down to Jerusalem to go serve a ray of boom there. And I think that's why it's so, so important for us uh, to, as believers to read our word and know our word inside and out. I mean, there's 66 books here. There's a lot to learn. But the more we're in it day in and day out, we'll know when a false worship system comes around. We'll know when false prophets come around because we've already read the word and we understand that. And we see the Levites recognizing the situation that was not going to be good for them, that this was not the true worship of God. And they went down to Jerusalem where they could worship the true and living God. And in verse 16, it says, And after the Levites left, uh, those from all the tribes of Israel, such as set their heart to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord God of their fathers. So they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam the son of Solomon strong for three years, because they walked in the way of David and Solomon for three years. So even the people, not just the Levites, but even some of the people in the northern kingdom, could see the writing on the wall that this was not going to be a good situation for them. And they came down as well to go ahead and worship the true and living God in Jerusalem, as it was directed in the word. And uh, I'm glad they did. I'm glad they came down and, and, and seen the shortcomings of Jeroboam and the system he was trying to set up. And they would come down and worship. And it says here for three years that they walked in the ways of David and Solomon. So this is saying that they walked in the ways of the Lord for at least three years. But shortly after that three years, it started to fall again. And in verse 18, it says, Then Rehoboam took for, him, took for himself a wife, Mahalath, the daughter of Jeremoth, the son of David, and of Abihel, the daughter of uh, Eliab, the son of Jesse, and she bore him children, uh, Jaish, Shemara, and Zaham. After her, he took Maaka, the granddaughter of Absalom, and she bore him Abijah, Atai, Ziz, Ziza, and Shalemeth. So we see now he's starting to marry, and he's marrying in the family. These are cousins of his that he's marrying here because he talks about um, the daughter of uh, the son of uh, Jeremoth was the son of David, so married his daughter. Then Absalom married his, his daughter. So he's marrying within the family. Um, but another thing that, that 
as we get into verse 21 and 22, and I'll read it real quick. It says, Now Jeroboam loved Maacah, the granddaughter of Absalom, more than all his other wives. Now he had a wife before her, and he had older sons with her. So just keep that in mind. And his concubines, for he took 18 wives and 60 concubines, and begot 28 sons and 60 daughters. Now he didn't quite reach the numbers that Solomon reached. But he, he had quite, quite a few wives and concubines. And Rehoboam appointed Abijah, the son of Maacah, as chief to be leader among the brothers. For he intended to make him king. Now, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to turn to Deuteronomy 21.15 real quick. Now, he was going to appoint Abijah to be the next king. This was not his oldest, though. And it says in Deuteronomy 21.15 about this, it says, If a man has two wives, which he did, he had more than that, uh, one loved and the other one unloved, and they have borne him children, both the loved and unloved, and if the firstborn son is of her who is unloved, so remember he had one he loved more than the other one, then it shall be on that day he bequeaths his possessions to his sons, that he must not bestow firstborn status on the son of the loved wife in preference to the son of the unloved, the true firstborn. So he wanted to give, he wanted to give Abijah the title of king next, but that was not the firstborn. But that was the son of the, one that, the wife that he truly loved. So he was going against what Deuteronomy 21.15 said there. So once again, he's not following the ways of the Lord, because it should have been the firstborn son of the first wife that he married, who he didn't love as much, I guess. So it didn't matter which one he loved more than the other. It should have gone in the order of the birth of his sons, and he was not going to follow that. And in verse 23, he said, He dealt wisely and dispersed some of his sons throughout all of the territories of Judah and Benjamin to every fortified city, and he gave them uh, provision in abundance. He also sought many wives for them. So not only did he have many wives, he was looking for wives for his sons as well. And the wisdom spoken of here refers not of godly wisdom, but of Rehoboam's political wisdom. It probably was a good move to put his sons in these different cities to ensure things were going right and that they were fortified and protected. But this had nothing to do with godly wisdom. So we see here as we close... We see the division starting with the nation of Israel and God slowly weeding out those who were not going to follow him and not worship him in the true way that he had he had prescribed to King David and to King Solomon. And as we move on, we're going to be talking more of the, uh, of course, uh, the nation of Judah and not so much about the northern kingdom. But even nation of Judah had his issues with idolatry and, and sin. Amen. Father, we thank you for this message we have tonight, Lord. We just, uh, we just know that sometimes, uh, Lord, the, the vision is good, Lord, even when we don't see it, Father, and that sometimes taking away certain people or addictions or whatever it may be away from us is, is for our greater good, Father. And we know that you do bring in leaders and you take out leaders, Father God, because you are a sovereign God, Father. And you have a plan and a purpose for us here, Father. And, and we just have to trust and believe in faith that, that it is it's all going to work out for, for the good of your people, Lord, those who love you.
We thank you for this message tonight, Lord. We ask that you give us traveling mercies home, and we ask for your blessing over each individual here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.